Welcome to Lydia Finette's Claim Your Confidence, a podcast that will introduce you to the most powerful women in the world as they talk about their own confidence journey. No matter what obstacles you face, Claim Your Confidence will inspire you, motivate you, and give you a roadmap to live the life you want. So, are you ready to claim your confidence? Welcome, everybody, to Claim Your Confidence. I'm Lydia Finette, and I am so thrilled to be here today in Newsstand Studios. Wow, do I have a guest for you today. Ladies and gentlemen, Allison Felix, who is the most decorated American track and field athlete in Olympic history, who's earned over 11 total medals from five consecutive Olympic Games, is joining us today. And I have so many questions for her about her confidence journey, and we will hear from her after a short break from our sponsors. Allison Felix, I am so honored to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining me on Claim Your Confidence. Thank you for having me. So before I get into your bio, I want to tell everyone listening that I had the pleasure of listening to you on a panel recently at the Goldman Sachs conference. I was speaking later in the afternoon and I ducked in early just because I was so excited to hear what you had to say. And I was blown away by your story, by not only the incredible athletic achievements that you have obviously piled up over the course of your life, but also this giving back that has come to you, especially in the last few years of your career. And so we're going to dive into that. But for those of you who are just tuning in, I want to just tell everyone a couple of the things that you've achieved over the course of your life. So you are the most decorated American track and field athlete in Olympic history, 11 total medals from five Olympic Games, and you currently hold the title of the most decorated athlete, male or female, in World Athletic Championships history with 20 career medals, seven from individual events, and 13 from team relays. Before I go into your story, what does it feel like to hear that description of yourself? Do you feel like Allison Felix, who you look at this and you just can barely believe that you've accomplished so much in your life? It does still feel kind of surreal, you know, because for me, those were never really my goals. It was just, I love to run and... I enjoyed it. And so now to look back and to see the accomplishments, it's amazing, but I'm still just that girl who just loved to run. (laughs) (laughs) At the base. So start us off. You were born in Los Angeles, California. What were you like as a child? Did you walk early? Were you running from the minute you were born? (laughs) You were like that child who ran at nine months. I was not. I had a very (laughs) normal childhood. I grew up in my neighborhood just doing very normal things. I have an older brother who's two years older than me, and I just tried to keep up with him. So whatever (laughs) he was into, I was not far behind. And I had parents who were very involved, and we just enjoyed our community and growing up that way. Did you have a lot of confidence as a child, or were you just sort of trying to tag along as the younger sister? I have an older brother, so I know what that means, too. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting. I think because I had an older brother and also a dad who never really took it easy on me, Mm -hmm. I think I was never really intimidated because they never let me win like in anything. So whether it was like (laughs) backyard basketball or backyard races, like I was always losing. So I think that did build my confidence because it was just like, okay, this is a part of it. And Mm -hmm. I just keep going. I'd love to hear you say that. I'm a big believer in not everyone gets a trophy. I played on three middle Mm -hmm. school sports teams that never won a game in four years, any of them. So I just feel like it's such a huge, I know. I know. Wow is the right way to say that. But I do feel like it is such a huge part of life, like learning to lose, being okay with it and trying even harder as a result of it. 
I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's just a life lesson. You know, how many times have we been in those situations, whether it's work or relationships, like you have to figure it out and you have to know how to deal with defeat. I feel like that's a huge part of life. Yeah. And you can definitely speak about that, although there do seem to be so many more wins. So we'll get into that a little bit more. (laughs) So how did this happen? You were running a lot as a child. You're just running around the neighborhood. Where did where did the sort of competitive part of this come in? At what at what age did you become someone who people were noticing was faster than the average kid? My family was competitive in like all things. So I think it originated from there. But I found track in high school. And so I was at a new school and I didn't really know anyone. And my brother, my dad encouraged me to go out for the track team just to meet people. Mm-hmm. And it was as simple as that. And I did. And I found those friends, but yeah. I also fell in love with the sport. And it was right away that I was like, this makes me feel alive. I love every aspect of it. And it just became my thing. And so it was kind of a whirlwind from that point where I started to getting really good and seeing the potential. What was the first race? Like, what were the distances you were running at the beginning? Were you the person that they threw out for the mile or was it, you know, the 200, 400? Right away, it was a sprint. So was I a knew sprint, that always. like... <laughs> I knew that I had, I didn't have the gift to run long. I mean, I knew that from like PE class when we had to run the mile. I was like, that is not my thing. But I I love to race people. And so right away I was running the 100. I was running the 200. I was on the four by one. And that was all just so much fun for me. Did your older brother run as well? He did, but he was at a different high school than me. And so he was doing really well. And I saw that. And so that also, you know, made me really interested to get involved as well. At what point could you beat him? Never. Um, <laughs> was that right still to this day? Yeah, he was really good. And he went to USC on a scholarship and then he ran as a professional. And, you know, the differences between men and women running is quite significant. Yeah. So it wasn't actually until quite recently, a couple of years ago, we had a family vacation and every family vacation we have like a race. Oh, I love And this. I finally, at years and years, it was 30 something years, I finally had a victory on him. And what did that <laughs> feel like? I can't even imagine. <laughs> the ultimate bragging rights. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was just <laughs> the best. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. So you're running in high school and is there a race where all of a sudden everyone's like, wow, look at Allison, this girl has promise. Yeah, there was a race, I think it was my junior or senior year. My coach did a really great job of putting me in races with professionals. And so I went to this race, it was in Mexico City. And I remember I was way outside in one of the far out lanes and nobody was in front of me. And so I was kind of running blind. Mm -hmm. And I just kept waiting for the moment where everybody was gonna like pass me by. And I remember getting to the finish line and I actually won the race. And that was the moment where it was like, okay, this is for real. And so then what happens after that? So people sort of take notice. And then do you start working with a coach? I mean, how old are you at this point? You're sort of 17? Yeah, at this point, I was 16, 17 years old. Mm -hmm. And for me, my idea in high school was just to get my college paid for. And so I had committed to go to USC Mm -hmm. along where my brother was at. And that was my plan. And then that summer, when I was getting ready to go to USC, I made the senior world championship team. And then that's when things really shifted and shoe companies started to approach me and we made the decision that I would go pro because the next year was the Olympics. And I felt like to give myself a real shot at it, that would be the best. You've run in Mexico City now and then you've run another year and then you're training for the Olympics. Like it happened that quickly? 
Yeah, it was wow. pretty fast from when I started to that year. So yeah, I went pro. I started training with a professional coach. And it was that summer that I made my first Olympic team. I was 18 years old. Let's dive into the confidence piece. When you're running in high school, I'm sure that they're great runners. And then you're running sort of in the college age. But then all of a sudden, you're on a world stage. What are you feeling? Or at that point, are you so young, you're not even questioning yourself at that point? Because I think we go through that, you know, the youth is such an amazing confidence boost. And then all of a sudden, reality sets in in the 20s, 30s. Maybe I'm right. Absolutely. I think I definitely went through that. I think I just, I didn't even know really what I was doing. I didn't even know that that wasn't normal Mm -hmm. um, because I think it goes back to my family never letting me win, like my coach putting me in races with professionals. It was always challenging myself with the next thing. Mm -hmm. So when I started racing against grown women and when the Olympics came on the horizon, it was more just excitement. And there weren't really that many expectations at that point. And it was just kind of, let me see what I can do and I'll just do my best and see where that takes me. So you've been through five Olympic games now, but what was it like the first time? Because I mean, from the outside looking in, people dream about reaching that kind of pinnacle over the course of any career in different ways. But the Olympics is the penultimate. I mean, it is from the outside looking in, it's just like you can't get any higher than being an Olympic athlete. So what is it like at the age of 18 as you're training for this? Like give us the Allison sees it for the first time. It was so exciting. I mean, I had a very rocky year that first year, so I wasn't quite sure if I was going to make the team. But Once everything came together, it was all new. And I was taking everything in from walking and opening ceremonies and living in the Olympic Village and, you know, meeting new people. And so I think it was just this really exciting time where I was just enjoying myself. And did you medal at that time? I did. So I got a silver medal. And again, being very young, I was very upset because I, <laughs> really? I, 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 wanted, I wanted to win gold. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I just didn't understand the Olympics and the stage. And I remember running that race and seeing my mom afterwards and I'm like in tears and she's like, no, this is amazing. It's incredible. And she was really upset with me because I didn't do a victory lap, but I didn't know that you were supposed to. I thought only the winner did the victory lap. I didn't know that, you know, all the medalists did one. So she quickly helped me to put things in perspective and also let me know, like, you always see your victory lap and all of those things. Yeah, because silver is a winner, right? Maybe not the first winner, but the second <laughs> winner is still a winner over everyone else, especially at the Olympics. That's incredible. So then yeah. you leave the Olympics and what happens next? Because then it's another four years until the next one. So you're still in college at this point? Yeah, I was still in college. And so I was a regular college student. And then our seasons are all overseas. And so I was still navigating that. We had world championships every other year. And so I was just figuring it out. You know, it was very, at the beginning, it was hard. It was difficult to be figuring out school Mm -hmm. and travel and not being a collegiate athlete where my professors didn't quite understand, you know, why do you need to take a final on the road or what's happening? So having to break it down. And then eventually I figured out like what worked for me. So Allison, I have to know, what is it like when you've been at the Olympics and you have a silver medal now that's hanging around your neck and then you return to your college campus and walk into chemistry class with everyone else who's (laughs) been, you know, out late at night having maybe too many beers? What is that like to live in two parallel universes? It was really interesting. I mean, my classmates were all really great and, you know, some of them kind of knew what was going on and some didn't. It was also 
during the time at USC where our football team was amazing. And so they were the real stars on campus. Like, you know, everybody was concerned with what they were doing. So I think I was flying under the radar. That must have been nice. But also you were probably like, hey, guys, again, silver medal. (laughs) Maybe just wear it sometimes so people knew. Yeah, they they didn't care too much. (laughs) I love it. So you finish college and then as a professional athlete, you start training. What do your days look like at this point? When I was in school, I was going to classes first and then I would go to training afterwards. So they were really long days. And then once I was done with school, I would just go straight to training. I would be training around five hours a day. I would usually go to the track first and that would be around three hours. And then I would take a lunch break and then I would go into the gym for about two hours. And Yeah, that was a system. I'd like to just pause for a second for our listeners and let's all think about the five hours that Allison spent training in the (laughs) middle of her college day Mm -hmm. and just have respect for the work that you do to be (laughs) operating at such a high level. Because, you know, I say this so often on this podcast, people think that things just happen to people. You know, Allison's a good runner, therefore she can just keep running and that's the way it works. But five hours a day on top of a college load is an, an incredible, incredible day, day after day to have to get through that. So it's amazing to hear what that looks like and then even to continue that after you finish college. Yeah, it was definitely a lot. I really enjoyed the process though. I think there's something beautiful when you're training that you are starting at zero. You know, there's nothing there and then you continue to just build and the training. And I love that process of getting better and getting better for yourself as well. In terms of getting better, when you're doing this training, how much better are you getting? Is this you're carving a second off. Like, what does that look like? And how long does it take you to get better at running? Yeah, I mean, in the sprints, you're talking about hundreds of seconds. And so it's a very small amount of time. You're very small movements and you're just inching along. I remember my first four years, I was kind of at a standstill and then had a breakthrough. Running is like that, where you can just kind of be somewhere and you're not progressing as fast as you want to, especially when you're young and you're in college and you're like, okay, I'm putting in the work. I'm not seeing the result right away. And so there's a lot of ups and downs in the whole thing as well. Do you know when all of a sudden you start getting better? Like, do you feel it when you ran that race and you're like, I've just carved a millisecond off? Can you really tell? For me, there's been a few races that have felt special. Mm-hmm. They almost feel easy. You know, everything is flowing. Everything is moving together the way that it should be. You're not fighting against yourself. And those typically are the races that are the standout ones. And then you have the ones that are the opposite in here. (laughs) It feels hard and, you know, all of the things. But I generally can tell when it's a good one. When I was researching for this podcast, I came across your 2008 Summer Olympic Trials when you qualified by winning the 200 meter. But then in the Olympics, I believe you placed second to a woman named Veronica Campbell. Yes. And I kept seeing her name come up time and time again. And it's interesting because I didn't know that much about the racing itself. You find who the winner is, you know who the winner is. I obviously knew your name, but it's interesting that you seem to have competed against her a lot. And she was the person who maybe was on the other side of that millisecond and the times that you placed second. Is that an accurate assessment of the relationship you had? Yeah, we had a really strong rivalry for the entire beginning of my career. So my first two Olympics, she won gold medals at those Olympics. And Being on the other side of that was really challenging. I mean, we went back and forth a lot during world championships. And I feel like as a competitor, you know, I knew that I had to be at my best when I was racing her. Mm -hmm. And I also felt like we made each other better because we were just constantly showing up with our A-game. 
Did you know her personally other than racing? Like, did you ever see her outside of the races or was it only that you were sort of coming together in the track? Mainly in the track. I mean, the track community is pretty small and, you know, of course, in passing and then over the years got to know her more. But early on, it was kind of just during the racing. Yeah. So you get to London in 2012 and you have all this history behind you and you're coming up and it's your chance for gold again. You get that one race. What do you tell yourself before that race at the Olympics where you want the gold so badly you don't have it yet? Like, what are you saying to yourself to give yourself a sort of like hype moment? It's interesting. I think going into London, I felt the most peace and calm that I had, you know, in any other Olympics. And I think because in 2008, when I got that second silver medal, it was devastating to me. You know, I felt like I had done everything right and I just couldn't understand why it still wasn't working. And so I really had shifted everything, changed everything, just figured out how even if it was 1%, how I could get better. And so after doing that for four years, I think I came to a place before that race where I felt like there was nothing else I could do. You know, I've done my part. I've done it all. And if it was for me, it was going to be for me. And so I remember before that race, thinking about all the workouts and thinking about all the training and just knowing that I was prepared. I think that gave me the ultimate confidence, Uh but also peace that if this doesn't go my way, then this is just the way that it's supposed to be. And that's when it finally went your way. Yes. And that's when it finally (laughs) all came together. And You know, I had that just unbelievable moment where all of the hard work and everything, you know, it finally showed up paying off in the way of getting a gold medal. I watched that video last night and it's amazing to watch you. It's almost like you didn't know. And then all of a sudden, there you go at the end and just sort of overtook her. And it was such a moment. I felt like I was cheering for you in my bedroom. I was so excited that I was like, wait, this was 11 years ago, but that's okay. And so that was your gold medal. You won it at that point. What happens on the other side of that? Because I like to say to the people, you know, success is not something that goes on forever. You know, you win a gold medal, but then you have another race in four years and everyone has a target on your back now, right? Yeah, it was weird. I think I had built that moment up in my head over eight plus years of what it was going to be like. And I think when I came home, I realized like, oh, wow, my life hasn't really changed. You know, everything feels the same. And so it took me some time to unpack that. But I think it was really because the magic was in in the moments, in the becoming, you know, in the moments in between and the stretching and really learning how to embrace that Mm -hmm. moving forward. That was like the biggest lesson I think I I could have learned. And then you're exactly right. Then it's on to the next. You know, what is my next goal going to be? How am I going to tackle it? And so I just continued to challenge myself and I'm still just loving the sport and loving what I was doing and just kept moving forward. And then in 2014, you got injured, right? I did. At that world championships, I tore my hamstring. And so that was pretty tough. Anytime, you know, you deal with an injury, obviously it's not in the plan, not ideal. And so it's kind of inevitable though, being an athlete at some point. Yeah, I bet. I'm sure you sort of wonder when that will happen eventually, especially with running. I know it's so hard on your body. You moved from the 200 meters then into the 400 meters at some point. Was that around the same time? Yeah, I started to just kind of explore more. I had always ran the 4x4 relay, but I had never ran the open 400. And so I just started to kind of step outside of my comfort zone. It was an event that I never really liked. I feel like it wasn't naturally what I was good at, but it was a real challenge. And so I started to see what I could do in that event and started to branch out and explore at world championships and continued on that path. And you were good at that one too, as it turned out, right? (laughs) Yeah, not as good. (laughs) Yeah, there was a lot of potential there. And I just kept trying to get it right and 
kept trying to figure it out. And I think that it gave me something different in the sport. And it just kept me really interested and engaged. So you brought home nine medals, I think by 2018. And then like many women, you decided to have a baby. And that really was a complete departure in many ways. Your life took a real turn after you had your daughter. Do you want to sort of talk us through having the baby, what happened to you? And then we can sort of discuss everything that's come since then. Sure, absolutely. I was at a place in my career where I felt like I had the accomplishments. I had the things that I had set out before me, but I didn't have what mattered most. And that was, I wanted to be a mom. I always had. And I felt like I had to wait, not because somebody told me to wait, but because it was just what I had seen. And so in the sport and track and field, there was just this culture of silence around pregnancy. And I saw teammates just really struggle through it and have a really difficult time. And what was happening was that sponsors were pausing contracts or women would have to hide their pregnancies if they were in between contracts so that they could secure new ones. And so I just had this fear that I would be in the same situation. And so I decided that I would do what I saw so many women before me do. I hit my pregnancy. I trained at four o'clock in the morning when it was still dark and I rarely left the house. And this moment that I thought I had always wanted to happen, you know, and should have been such a happy moment that was celebrated was one that was really isolating and really lonely for me. So I had been with my sponsor, Nike, for almost a decade at this point. And even before I got pregnant and we started off our negotiations, they started off at 70% less than what I was previously making. And so I think that just amplified the fear Mm -hmm. because I was like, if it's already in this bad place, like when they find out I'm pregnant, it's going to just get worse. And over the course of that time, I really shifted my fight from a financial fight to one of maternity protections. And basically what that means is that track and field contracts are performance-based. And so you go to the Olympics, you go to a world championship, you get a medal, you get a bonus. But if you go and you don't, you get a reduction. If you're pregnant at that time, or if you've just had a baby, there's nothing to protect you. You just get reduced. And that's what was happening in the sport. Women were being reduced and reduced to the point where they were being pushed out of the sport and they weren't being able to fulfill their full potential. So I asked for time to be able to recover. And I was told that I could have the time. And so it was like, amazing. That's exactly what I'm asking for. Great. But when the contract came back, there was no tie of that time to pregnancy or maternity or anything like that. And so I learned that they weren't ready to set that precedent for all female athletes. And this happened over a long period of time. And I actually ended up giving birth to my daughter. And I had a very traumatic birth experience, a lot of complications. But I think because I became the mother to a baby girl, Mm -hmm. I started to think about the world that she was going to grow up in. And I started to just really feel like that was not going to be okay. You know, them saying that they would not offer that to all female athletes. That's something I couldn't accept. And so I ended up writing a New York Times op-ed. I shared my truth. And it was about two to three weeks after that, that Nike and other companies changed their policies. And today they offer 18 months of maternal protection. But it was a long and terrifying fight. And it definitely shifted the whole course of my career. You have so many accolades leading up to that point and how easy it would have been for you to take that 
pay protection and not say a word. And what's remarkable about this story is that you chose to write that article in the New York Times and you chose to use your platform to really amplify voices of people who were not going to have that kind of platform. And I know in addition to that, you also talk very openly about the black maternal mortality crisis, which I know is another thing that has been something that you've spoken about very openly. And I wonder as you move forward, and you said this for your daughter as well, but as you move forward into your career and even frankly, post-career life, how much of this do you think you'll be able to help other women as they're coming up in their career take on? Like, can you pass this message along for other people in other sports as well? This is a platform for you. So tell us openly what we can do to support someone like you, what other athletes can do to support this platform. I think it's just opened my eyes and it's definitely motivated me to figure out other ways to support women. So something I really focused on um, this past season and even moving forward has been childcare and childcare for female athletes. And so I've been able to come alongside my sponsor, Athleta, and we've been able to offer grants for women who find themselves as mother and also wanting to still compete at the highest level. We find childcare is one of the really hard burdens. And so focusing on that, we brought childcare to the national championships of track and field last season. What does that look like when you say when you brought childcare so that people literally could bring their kids and have someone watch them? Absolutely. Any athlete, any official, any agent, anyone who participated in the event could bring their kids and have on-site childcare and they could focus on the task at hand racing and for the whole duration of the event to know that they had that support. And that's something that I hope can just be the norm one day. Yeah. You know, at yeah. all of these events, that's something that we can offer. And that's something that's for families. It's not just women who could take part. That's mm. a male athlete who's competing as well could take advantage of that. So I'm really focused on that. Of course, Black maternal health is a passion very close to my heart. And just coming alongside of organizations like March of Dimes, who have been doing such important work in that space. I recently co-executive produced a film called Birthing Justice that raises awareness around a lot of those issues. And so just really continuing to fight on behalf of those causes. It's amazing. And it's wonderful that you've used your platform for such good. Obviously, this is only going to continue the conversation, which I think is always the most important thing. You know, even taking it to the childcare piece, it's, again, just opening people's eyes to things that women need. We need yeah. pregnancy support. We need childcare. And, you know, I often said in the working world, somebody has to have the kids, you know, and the guys can't do it. So if the women are going to do it, help us have the kids. You, you want them as badly as we do. And so let's do this together. But I think it all starts with that conversation. You know, somebody has to be the first person to jump out. And obviously, in this case, it was you. So you didn't stop there because it doesn't seem like you stop anywhere as a runner. Did you see how I did that? <laughs> what I think is so cool. So obviously, you left Nike, but then you launched your own company. Yeah. So I parted ways with them over that fight. But then I still knew that I wanted to compete. I still knew that I could compete. And I was really excited. I was training for my fifth Olympics and I was really just having a conversation with my brother and I was venting to him. And I'm just like, I can't believe that I'm at this place. I've been to four Olympics and I can't find a footwear sponsor. It was really him who said, what if we just did this ourselves? And at first it just felt so big. It felt so overwhelming. I was already so drained from everything with Nike and I was just like, okay. And then <laughs> I slept on it and sat with it. And then I was like, no, you're right. Like, this is what we need to be doing because this allows us to create change. 
instead of depending on somebody else to do it. And I think what we thought we were doing was creating shoes that I could wear in the Olympics and maybe other women would want to wear them as well. But as we took down that path, we learned that shoes have not been made for women. And so a shoe is made off of a last of a foot, which is just a mold. And it's the mold of a man's foot used to make women's sneakers. And when we learned that, we were just like, this can't continue to go on. You know, women deserve better. And so I launched my own company, Seish, and we make shoes to fit the form of the female foot for and by women. And we think about things differently. We have a very diverse group of team members. We get to just push the industry in different ways. We have a maternity returns policy that we are so proud of where not everyone knows that a woman's foot can grow during pregnancy. And oftentimes that growth is permanent. Yes. (laughs) So if you have a pair of our shoes, we'll give you your new size if that change happens for you. So just really trying to do things in a different way. That's amazing. I love that. And so what is it like for you to have gone from athlete to businesswoman? I mean, how are your days different? You're not training five hours a day anymore? Yeah, it's been so different. I mean, I love what we get to do at Seish and I feel so passionate about it. And I feel very grateful that I literally walked off the track and into this role and I get to wake up every day and say, how can we improve things for women? So it has been very different, but I think it's also been really helpful. A lot of the lessons that I learned on the track and some of just the foundation things I get to bring to my business every day. And so that's helpful, but it is just a whole switch. It's weird not to be training five hours a day. (laughs) (laughs) Do you like this post-life? Do you like the post-running life? I do. I really enjoy it. I think like with any big change, there's the challenges. And I think I've really felt those. I love running and I got to do it for 20 years of my life. And I think that there is a sense of loss there for sure. But also, you know, there's an excitement of this new chapter as well. And it seems very clear that there's nothing that's going to stop you moving in any direction, which is also so exciting. (laughs) Like businesswoman, obviously, you know, impacting change in the social justice area, but also being a mom. So tell us about your daughter. Tell us what you want to leave behind. And what are you doing to make your daughter a confident woman like her mom? My daughter, Cameron, she's four years old and she is just the light of my life. Everything that I'm doing, you know, is motivated by her and wanting the world to just be better for her. I want to empower her. I want her to grow up confident and strong and just feel like she has no limitations, whether that's because she is a girl or because she's, you know, a little black girl, whatever it might be. I want her to just know that she can do it all. We love to do affirmations. It's kind of our thing that we do on the way to school and she's gotten really into it. And now if we don't do them, she's like, mom, we didn't do our affirmations. Like, <laughs> here, let's, let's go, let's do it. So just little things like that. I want to build her up and I want her to be prepared for this world. I love that. What are her affirmations? She's like, today I'm going to have a great lunch <laughs> at four. <laughs> I know, we, we start very small, but um, we start with things like, I'm a good friend, I'm a good listener, yeah. I'm kind challenges help me grow. And so we switch them up all the time, but just really trying to build her up to have that confidence, even at four years old, to whatever the challenges are in her day, they might be sharing or, you know, something pretty small. (laughs) Snack time. But still learning. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. I absolutely love it. Well, I guess my final question would be, were you wearing Sage sneakers when you beat your brother in that race? I'm just curious to know. (laughs) (laughs) It was pre-Sage. I think we were barefoot. We were on the beach. But actually, highlight, I think, of my entire career, making it back to Tokyo, making it to my final Olympics as a mother, crossing the line 
in the Seychelles. Oh my gosh. All of it comes together. Full circle. I remember watching you holding Cameron after you won mm-hmm. and thinking, God, doesn't that just do it all for mothers? Like one thing after another. I mean, you're doing something like that. I think about Rihanna at the Super Bowl. I know when I have three children, I remember someone saying to me very early on in my first pregnancy, you won't be able to take auctions. You're not going to get on stage when you're nine months pregnant. And I remember nodding and smiling and thinking, watch me. And I think that that's what we're showing people when you show up and you're like, I can do this in this body while growing another human being. Like, look at what women are capable of. So I am so honored to have you on this podcast, Allison. I can't even tell you, I'm such a huge fan of yours. I run too, but it doesn't look anything like yours. I'll tell you that. (laughs) But you sure inspire me. And I know that there's so many listeners out there that you will inspire as well. So let me ask you, where can we follow along for all of the next steps with Allison Felix? Tell us what's coming up for you. I'm super excited. We have our performance running shoe coming this fall for Seish. And so our socials are just by Seish and my socials are Allison Felix. And I'll continue to work on the childcare initiatives, on maternal health as well, and just keep going on all these kind of passions of my heart. Firing on all cylinders. Well, we are rooting for you and so excited to see what you do next. I'm sure it'll be another incredible adventure and we're all along for the ride. So for everyone from Rockefeller Center and from me, thank you for being here. Thank you to Joe, my amazing producer who puts together this entire studio that I'm so lucky to be a part of and to Rockefeller Center for letting me use it every week. I leave you with this one thought. Allison talks about her daily affirmations that she has with her daughter. What is your daily affirmation? Share it with Allison, share it with me. We would love to know what you're thinking. I'm Lydia Finette, this is Claim Your Confidence. Thanks for tuning in and I look forward to being here with you again next week. 